Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome back to the best podcast on the planet, the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast, where every week we break down the world of running for you. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. I'll be joined as always by ace staff writer Jonathan Galt. And we may or may not be joined by my twin brother, Weldon Johnson, the new dad. John, we got a lot to talk about this week. A U.S. girl high schooler has run 939 for 3,200 meters, which is a pretty good time for a boy. Caster Semenya has declared herself a supernova. What will the NCAA cross-country season look like this year if there is one and people can't get on planes to travel to these huge invitationals? A sneak peek at the high school sub-4 attempt that's coming on this weekend. And my simple plan, folks, this is breaking. I have a simple plan to get us back to mass marathons, New York, Boston, London. I have a way to make that happen. We're going to talk about all that, John, but I want to start with you first. How are you doing, John? I'm very worried about you. It seems to me that the most common thing recently is everyone's becoming a father. Weldon, Steve, our employees, Usain Bolt, Warren Weir, these Jamaican sprinters. Everyone is getting to enjoy the beauties of fatherhood. And then I'm thinking about you. You're single. You're not in a relationship. You can't even date. Is the pressure getting to you like to produce an offspring for the family, for your mother? How are you doing? Yeah, not really feeling any pressure. It would be kind of hard for me to produce an offspring right now under the lockdown situations, especially since I'm not in a any sort of relationship. But anyway, my mom will be pretty disappointed in you and Robert. In you, Robert, she's always like, "Why is he always asking about his personal life?" And now we're leading off the podcast with it. So, you know, that, that's my update. Not much going on right now. Hoping that we re- ease the restrictions. Maybe once we start easing restrictions, then we'll have more updates to share. But nothing right now, Robert. I want to ask about you. You're currently wearing a USA Track and Field pullover. To my knowledge, you didn't earn this this single this uh, pullover. I want to know where it came from, and it's interesting. You're, you've been a vocal critic of USATF in the past, but you're tacitly endorsing them with this pullover. Wow, John. Good good spot on the webcam. I, I am indeed wearing the United States official, United States track and field gear. I assume that this is Weldon's. and it, it Probably it comes from the 2003 Pan American Games. I guess it's possible that he also got this for the World Half Marathon Championships. I'm not sure what year that was. But um, in Italy, but uh, I think this is official Pan Am Games gear. Uh, I've always had it in the closet. Weldon seems to leave his stuff wherever we're living. I pick it up and I wear it around town. I, I support America in this time of crisis. Well, you've been exposed. You, you, people, you may think Robert is a USATF hater, but in fact, when you can't see him, he wears their gear around the house or his, his office in this instance. See, this is the beauty of the Nike sponsorship. I mean... If I'm trying to support America, I have to support Nike, and people think I'm also supporting USATF. John, I want to apologize to Mrs. Galt, your mother. You can't really win as an employer these days. If I don't ask about your personal life and don't show interest in you as a person, people are viewed as a as a just a task minding, you know, a boss that just demands numbers and doesn't care about you as a as a human being. And then I try to Get that, and then I'm accused of invading your privacy. No, no, see, Robert, you're viewing this as an either-or option, is that there's only two options. Either I ask him about his personal life on the podcast, or I don't. Here's what you do. You ask about my personal life when we're not on the podcast. Then we can have a conversation about it. 
as opposed to broadcasting it to the world. But whatever. I'm a fairly open book. I don't really have much to hide. So, But I don't think people turned on the podcast to listen to me talk about my personal life. They want to hear about running. I think we should start here with Bryn Brown, Robert. This was the big news. It happened yesterday, which is Tuesday. She's a high schooler from Texas. Ran 939 for 3,200 meters in a time trial, which... Well, it's not official race, obviously. There's no official timing, that sort of thing. But clearly, the performance is outstanding. And Caitlin Tui has the national record at 3,200 at 947 for a high school girl. Now, Mary Kane did run faster. She ran 938 for a full two miles indoors in 2013. So that performance is clearly superior to 939 for 3,200. But still really impressive stuff from Bryn Brown. She did have a couple male paces, but... What, were you were you as shocked as as I was by this performance, Robert? Not really. I mean, I, well, I didn't know she was doing it, but in terms of what she was capable of, I mean, that, that was the interesting thing because a few weeks ago, I, I guess what was it, ten days ago? I'm not sure when, but you know, it came out on the internet. I think Miles Split had the story, but there was a huge discussion on on Let's Run about the workout that she did, where she did. 4 by 1600, 452, 455, 455, 457, with two minutes and 30 seconds rest. And I saw that thread, and, and I went to my coach, John Kellogg, in the Let'sRun.com coaching stat guru, John Kellogg, and I asked him, I said, what is this thing worth? This seems incredible. And he's like, oh, I, he's like, that's an unbelievable workout. I think it's about 935 for 3,200 meters. So... If you had told me that she was going to run a 3200 based on that workout, I would have had to predict something super, super fast. Um, but yeah, at, at some level, it does seem shocking. Her official 3200 meter PR, I think, was 958. And she's only a junior as well. Yeah. So, you know, she, she's obviously an incredible talent. And now, I mean, we've converted that to 859.9 for 3000. Probably should add a little bit. So basically, nine flat. For 3K, which is, you know, if you, it, after Mary Kane, the next best time indoors or out is 9 flat point one. So she's basically produced the second fastest high school time ever at 3K, 3,200 or two miles, you know, if you're converting them all. So really good stuff. And John, does it matter to you that it's not in a race? I, I was watching some interviews and I was like, well, next year you can validate this. I'm like, I don't need her to validate this. I just saw a video of it. She did it. Um, yeah, it's not. This isn't Kipchoge running one fifty nine in Vienna. Like this, she ran it on a track. It's pretty. It's not like she had wind, you know, machines blowing behind her or super shoes. She ran the distance. She yes, she had male paces. She's not going to have that in a regular high school race. But if she ran against pros, a two mile against pros, it wouldn't be that different. So, yeah, I mean, look, can you count this as an official time? Is it going to go on the track and field news? top 10 list no but she she ran she covered the distance there's no gimmicks here so clearly she's that she's that good yeah and you know if it was a race you'd probably have a rail on the on the track so that's going to add a slight amount of distance but to me i don't care about any of that she's obviously you know really incredible um and you know one thing i think that is interesting is We've been burned in the past when we when we when we hype high school women to, to some degree. I mean, just because you have great success as a high, early in high school or in high school as a woman doesn't mean that you're going to be necessarily a great pro. The same is also true for men, but maybe not to the same degree. So 
I, I don't know. One thing that's interesting to me is I, I think it may be better that she didn't do it in a race that she didn't do. It. I mean, speaking of pro races, Mary Kane, her time did come in a pro race. That was in the New Balance uh, indoor games in, in Boston. So I like this. It's less pressure. There's less fanfare. It's actually really interesting to me to think about this. I mean, if you watch the video and we have it up um, on the website right now, basically, again, this is one of the greatest performances in U.S. high school history, and no one's there to watch it. There's no cheering. Her parents are there, maybe the coach. They're, they're videotaping it. It's very quiet. And it's just interesting, like, what about our sport that is important and what makes it popular. People say we're struggling for popularity. And I'm like, yeah, because you have, unless you understand the sport, unless you understand the significance of this time, you can have someone running 11 minutes on camera and there would be no difference. You could be pacing someone to an 11 minute, two mile and it's no difference. But if you actually understand this, it's quite a significant accomplishment. And that's why people have to come to let's run.com. We give you the tools to understand and appreciate the sport at its highest level. Yeah, we're, wow, John. Uh, pat, pat yourself on the back. There. Yeah, I mean, this coming from the guy who opened the podcast by saying this is the best podcast in the world. I mean, yeah, we're not exactly ones for uh, being – we're not being humble to, on this week's podcast. Let's pause for a moment and give a shout-out to the sponsor of this week's podcast, thefeed.com. They've got you covered. Need something for your running? Want to take your running to the next level? Go there. You can get the Martin Sports Drink. You can get a PR lotion even an AeroFit respiratory muscle training device. Pretty cool stuff. They've also got some COVID-19 stuff. How about an immunity boosting pack or even their BLDG active antimicrobial hand and face spray. So check it out. Go to thefeed.com slash let's run. Again, thefeed.com slash let's run and you'll save 15% on your entire order. And while you're on the internet, why don't you check out the letsrun.com shoe site. Go to letsrun.com slash shoes. And you can find the best prices and the best reviews. If you don't need to buy shoes, how about you review a shoe and help somebody else out? Thanks so much for supporting us. Speaking of not being humbled, let's move on to some words that Castor Semenya had. Let me pull them up as we move to this topic. Article came out of South Africa where Castor Semenya, his, I guess they asked her, you know, what's going on with you? She's obviously appealing her ban from the women's 800. And she says that's decided. We'll stick to the 200 meters no matter what. So that may be good news for any women's 800 meter runners like Ajay Wilson. Castor says even if she wins her appeal, she'll stick to the 800. Now, she doesn't mean permanently. She's saying only for this year. But it, the, the quotes in this article are, are absolutely unbelievable. I'm the athlete who does not worry about times. I take it as it, com- as it comes. Um, I've always said that I'm, an, I'm a power athlete. I can do anything from 100 meters to a marathon. I have power and speed, which has helped me to run a better 800. From a young age, I did the 200 meters, and it has always been easy to do sprints. I was born with sprints. I call myself supernatural, so I can do anything that I want. So... I put this thread up, uh, a link to this, and started a thread on it last night. It's obviously gone super hot on Let's Run. John, what do you think of these quotes? I mean, it's just, I mean, this isn't totally out of character for Casta Semenya. She's said stuff like this before. Clearly, it's hyperbolic. I mean, can she run a good marathon? No. Can she run a good 100? No. But she's tried to, she's an inspirational athlete for a lot of people. She tries to throw out this, 
you know, don't place limits on yourself approach, which I think is fine for an athlete. Is it grounded in realism? I mean, not really, but in terms of like, in terms of range, she does have remarkable range. She's, she's won a diamond league final in the 400. She's medaled at Wells in the 1500. It's really good, but even Semenya has her limits. Well, yeah, but I think you're not giving her quite enough credit. I mean, we don't know what she can run for 100, but I do think she can qualify for the Olympics in the 200. Um, she's obviously already done it in the 800, 1500. She might be able to do it in the 5000. She could qualify for the Olympics, but she's not going to win a medal at 200. Well, no, but and she could clearly, I think, qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials probably in the marathon. Once she gets that citizenship. <laughs> I mean... Well, correct, if she was a U.S. citizen. So I'm just saying her range is pretty remarkable. And I, I like this thread. There's a poster on Let's Run, and basically he's, he or she is saying, like, look, by making this statement, Castor is actually hurting her argument for why she should be allowed to compete in women's competition. Um, and I'll, I'll just read from this poster. Brent R., if no woman in history has ever been able to be competitive at an international level from 100 meters up to the marathon, and no man in history has ever been able to be competitive, in those same events, but a reasonable number of men are able to run times that would be internationally competitive for women over 100 meters to the marathon, you know, then basically doesn't that prove that she's intersex? I think it does. No one else in history has this type of range. That's not the question. We know she's intersex. The question is whether, you know, it's inherently unfair or there's, there's more to adjudicate than that. But we already knew this. Again, the 400 and 1500 range, no other woman in the world can do that. No other woman could win a Diamond League 400 and also medal in the 1500 at Wells. She's the only person in the world who could do that. Okay, John, I think we should move on to another topic before we get ourselves too much trouble. Let's take another controversial topic, COVID-19. John, you live in the Boston area. Do you live in Boston City proper? or I live in that Brookline. Work? So I'm only, if I run maybe uh, a mile or two, I'm into Boston. So the last time we talked on this topic there was going to be fines if you were not wearing a mask are you obeying the local laws and running with a mask i'm running with a mask and the rules that govern the state of massachusetts say you must wear a mask at all times if you cannot socially distance yourself so what i'm doing is i'm running with a mask i pull it down if i'm not around anyone if i come into close contact or if i you know can't avoid someone i will pull the mask up temporarily and then pull it back down. It's not convenient, but I want to try to do my part to lower the spread. Could I? Should I be wearing it at all times? I mean, I'm sure there are people who will complain that I should, but I think what I'm doing is acting in a responsible way while also being able to go out for my daily run. My aunt would approve. She goes for walks in Rock Creek Park, and she's really angry, which she calls the arrogant runners who run by closer than six feet without a mask on, so... John, now what type of mask do you have? Do you have like a nurse's, like one of these plastic masks? Do you have one of these $50 high-end masks from one of these fashion companies? What are you, what are you, what are you wearing? No, they're really basic. They're just, it's some cloth that my mom sewed some uh, elastics onto essentially. And it functions very well like it's a regular mask, but for running, just the cloth is quite thick. So it's not ideal for running around. And I, I kind of, I was like, well, it doesn't really matter because these restrictions aren't going to be in place that long. But then the longer it goes on, I do wonder, do I should I try to order a buff online? Should I try to order a lighter mask? Like by the time it gets to my 
apartment? Will we still even have these restrictions? So I'm trying to just gut through it at the moment. But I, I don't know if it's worth expend- investing in these masks. Given well, I think it is. You think it is? Yeah. My wife ordered some masks that cost $25 or something because she wants to look good in them. It's going to be a long time. You know, you, you said a word there. And I think this is an important, actually, topic. You know, we've been kind of joking around a little bit about some things. But you said it's inconvenient. And I would just say, in, in general, this disease is inconvenient, and we need to be willing to be inconvenienced to make it as minimal as possible, to have as few losses of life as possible. But to, you know, the more we take steps that we can, the most steps that we can, the more that we can open up. You know, I, I have sort of probably gotten some flack from some people for saying, like, look, I think. You know, they told us that we were doing all this to flatten the curve, not to prevent the spread of the disease. Um, and, you know, so we flatten the curve. The hospitals are overrun. Let's start to open up. But if we're going to open up, again, I, I said this last week, folks, we need to do this in, in a reasonable an- manner. Just because they say you can go to a restaurant doesn't mean that you shouldn't wear a mask and shouldn't socially distance. I mean, don't be an idiot, people. Like, I, I, I was pretty adamant based on the numbers that I thought the colleges should open up because it's very it's not that dangerous of a disease for people in the 15 to 24 age group. I've been reading a lot about that since apparently the numbers are still hard to come by. But, you know, a dorm is a very easy place to spread this disease. So I'm not talking about normal colleges when you're having keg parties and everyone's hanging out in the dorms. I would still have people 100% wear those masks on the college campus at all times, except when they're in their private dorm room. So I, I think that we need to be doing this. Like if you're outside within six feet of somebody, you need to have a mask on, period. Wow. Strong take there, Robert. But, John, I do have another task, another take that would please Weldon, my twin brother, if he was here. He's very worried that the marathons aren't coming back. He gets mad if I tell him that the marathons aren't coming back. But I had an epiphany this week, and I have a simple plan, Rojo's plan, to bring back the mass marathons with this plan. All you have to do, marathon directors, is follow it. Boston, Berlin, London, New York, we can have your race. Something tells me it's not quite as simple as you're making it out to be, but I'm willing to listen to your theory and then poke holes in it, Robert. Okay. We know that outdoor places lead to very little spread, right? If you're separated from a a decent distance outside, the wind's blowing, the odds of you getting the disease are, are very, very small. Well, we have a pretty good idea about that. I don't know if we know that. I certainly don't know that for a fact, but that would be my logical assumption. The problem with a mass marathon is you're standing right next to somebody for, and you're running right next to them, particularly in the back of the pack for hours on end, and you're breathing quite hard. Like You're bringing out a lot of particles, so whatever bacteria or whatever it's called, viruses you have in your body are probably – it's kind of like the singing group – in Washington State, where 75% of the people got sick after a choir practice. Now, they were all older, so I, I, I do think that younger people have better immune systems, less likely to get it. But I said, I think, on one podcast, I can't imagine a worse, you know, if you're going to spread this disease outside, there's probably no better way to spread it than have people breathe really heavily on each other for three or four hours on end. So I, I can understand the the concern about the mass marathons. Um and last week, we had it on the website, Kingston Mills, who's a 213 marathoner, I think from Ireland. He's an immunology expert. He, he called mass marathons a huge risk. He's like, look, I don't even think running with your buddy. If you're running with your buddy, I don't think you're going to get it at all. The wind's going to blow it away, but 
a lot of people, he was worried about it. All right, Robert, make your point here. I'm running out of patience. Okay, this is simple. Anybody, when you show up, I actually have a two-prong approach, but when you show up for your packet pickup, you have the packet pickup like maybe two, three days before the race, you submit for a COVID-19 test. Take that COVID-19 test, comes back clear. Everybody on the start line, therefore, will be COVID-19 clear. Nobody will have the disease. If you're standing next to 50,000 other people that don't have the disease, guess what? You're not going to get the disease either. So you just test everybody right before the race. I would even take another step forward. I would say, you know, some of these races are obviously international races and mass races. People have to get on a plane there. So you say, okay, I want you to take the test at home as well. And it must be clear. You must have a, a, a positive, a, a I'm free of COVID-19 test from within two weeks of the travel time to the race. You must bring that with you to the packet pickup. You show them that test. Hey, I was clean two weeks ago. That's why I got on the plane. That's why I drove here or whatever, staying in the hotel. And then they give you another test. And there you have it. No one on the start line would have it. Now, could one or two people pick it up from the day or two from the time they got the test to the race. Yes, they could. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that there's going to be zero cases, but you're not going to have, you know, mass cases of, of COVID being spread around. This is a foolproof way. And I think you're obviously, m- my plan to open up the college is going to be similar, John. I want everyone tested before they get on campus, and I want probably everyone tested in the middle of the semester, etc. It's a noble idea. First of all, so Boston Marathon... How is the BAA going to get 30,000 tests minimum by September? How are they going to get it? They're going to buy them. I mean, there's a lot of labs that aren't at capacity. That, that, that's the thing. Even here in Maryland, they just announced this week, I can drive the Timonium Fairgrounds, which is, what, six and a half miles from here? They're going to give me a free test, even if I'm symptom-free. They just started that today. So maybe I'll hang out there to see, to head out there this afternoon to get, to get my free test. I just think that... Grabbing 30,000 tests, I don't think it's it, it's probably solvable, but I don't think it's there's just this thing that you just say, oh, yeah, they'll have 30,000. It'll be no problem. You'd need more for the bigger cities. New York City, you would need 50,000. They've got four months to figure out how to get 30,000 tests and do it in a quick, in a quick fashion. I, you know. I just think it's a potential issue. The, the other thing is, how are you going to enforce this? Say someone takes their test. You know, first of all, you're going to need to test them how 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 quick's the turnaround? It can be as low as a few hours, but it might take a day in some cases. I don't know. You got to test them. Say someone tests negative, they still have that bib. How are they going to show? How are you going to prevent them from running the race if they sorry if they test positive? Well, I mean, so they're going to know that they test positive, and they're going to think I trained. Screw it, I'm going to run it anyways and put it. I mean, I guess yeah. I'm not really putting my faith in the American people here. I mean, there's someone who could. I I, I would hope if you test positive. Yeah, you would just say, "I'm all right. I have to stay home. This is unfortunate." I think most people would do that. No, you're right. Some runners are deranged and they train for it, and they say, "Screw it, I don't care." Th- that's sick. I mean, I well, I don't know. I, I think that person should be arrested and put in jail. I, I am for all four jail. If you know that you have COVID and you put yourself in close quarters with other people without a mask, you should be put in jail. Um, attempted murder. I mean, I, I'm a serious, serious charges for, for that type of thing. I, I hope that the more I think about it, though, I don't think that's going to happen because people were worried. Oh, there's going to be people running the course, or at these German soccer games. There's going to be oh, there's going to be people congregating outside the stadiums. I think I would put my faith in the people that if someone tested positive, they just wouldn't run the race. Speaking of German soccer, it's back, John. The ratings were way, way, way up. 
It was on Fox Sports last weekend. I, I watched a few seconds of it, but um, we, I have a question for you. Casinos are starting to open, I believe. I know Walmarts are open, Targets. If those if those places can have hundreds of people inside, why can't we have some spectators at sporting events? Well, first of all, those uh, casinos obviously not a essential business. Walmart grocery stores, I mean, those are essential businesses. People have to go to those things. So they've been going to that even when the lockdown was super restrictive. The sports, though, okay, you have hundreds of people, but there's already hundreds of people, or you know, at least. 50, 60, 70, something, that sort of people in these stadiums in terms of officials, camera people, the athletes, the coaches, the training staff. When you're adding extra people, including the spectators in this case, you're increasing the risk. So I think they would say, well, we already have a bunch of people in the stadiums for these games. And I think part of the plan is, yeah, probably eventually they're going to start adding spectators back in, but they don't want to rush into it. I think that's fine. Look, you go for a couple of weeks without spectators, and if not a lot of people are getting infected then eventually you bring them back but i don't think there's any reason to rush into this i think we should just be grateful we have some sports i actually think that question came from my brother because uh it was on the google doc for the show it wasn't from me the spectators actually do make me nervous because i'm worried about people cheering and yelling i, I think the spectators should have masks on even if they are socially distanced because i'm worried about the particles being expelled in the air um so i I kind of like what the German Bundesliga is doing. I think you pay like $20 and they will print out a cardboard cutout of your face, put it in a chair so you can be there virtually. Like, John, you and I, I could pay $100 and I could say, all right, I want to have me, Weldon, and John sitting at the Bundesliga game in our cardboard cutout. And maybe they, you know, pan us on the TV camera. The f- the founders of the world, <laughs> the world famous running site, let's run.com, and the star employee, Jonathan Gold. Oh, yeah, that'd be, uh, what a coup for the broadcasters there. All right, Robert, we got another high school news item here. This weekend, there is going to be what they're dubbing the Quarantine Classico, a mile race. It's supposed to happen somewhere in California on Saturday. I haven't really seen official details about this, but we do have a field, and they're supposed to be targeting sub four. I mean, some really good guys in this race. You've got... Cole Sprout from Colorado. He's run 404. He was seventh in NXN. He's going to Stanford. Leo Dashbach of Arizona. He ran 403 in a time trial a few weeks ago. He's going to Washington. Thomas Boyden of Utah, 405, 1600. 12th at Foot Lockers. Stanford commit. Easton Allred of Utah. BYU, BYU commit, 409, 908 as a sophomore. He was 22nd at NXN that year. Johnny Salcedo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Jesuit, California, 417-959. I'd have to assume he's a pacemaker or something. Maybe he's just going for a PR. There's a couple other guys who are also sort of similar PRs, but I would say the top four, Sprout, Dodgebot, Boyden, and Allred, they would all be targeting sub four. I'm pretty excited about this, Robert. I hope there's a way to broadcast it. I still don't know exactly where or when it's happening, but uh, what are your thoughts on this event? Is this legal? That's my first thought. That was also my wonder. Like when you don't have the details, are they scudding regulations? If you're going to have these things, people, I hope you broadcast it. I'm happy to give you the password to the Let's Run Twitter account so you can broadcast it live. But um, yeah, I mean, it seems like a stretch for these guys to go sub four. Uh, That was my second thought, but I'm I'm glad that they're trying. I mean, we don't have the guy that ran four flat point eight. Where's he? I guess it's a long way to drive from Texas. 
Texas to California. It's tough. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed, and this is kind of crazy, we didn't really mention their names because the, the final two guys are all from Corner Canyon High School, and so is Allred. So there's three guys from Corner Canyon High School. So Easton Allred ran 409-908 as a sophomore in high school. That's pretty sick. Now he's a senior. Then his teammates, Alex Harbertson's run 153-421-930. And this guy, Mark Boyle, has also run 155-417. So they have three guys under 919. Where were they at NXN? I wonder where they finished. I think they must have been pretty good. I think they were there. I, I don't remember the exact results. They didn't win, but, you know, I'm sure the team that won could also put three guys under 920 as well pretty easily. John, will we see a sub four, yes or no? I kind of, I kind of think yes because I, I know it's a big jump for a PR for some of those guys, but you got three guys at four or five or faster, and then the other thing is these time trials. I guess it's how close can you replicate the time trial conditions because Brim Brown and then Ryan Shopey, the I've probably changed the pronunciation from last week, but the guy from Texas who ran four flat in his time trial, those times were faster than I would expect for just a one-off race, so one-off time trial. So I was thinking. Yeah, if you can get a good pacemaker in there, I think you could see someone go sub four. And then you have a big debate, well, is this, a, is this an official sub four? Does it go in the record books? I mean, I think I've read that they're trying to get automatic timing. They're trying to make this count as an official meet. So we'll see. What about you, Robert? Do you think someone's going to break four? No. Care to expound on that thought? No. <laughs> okay. Fantastic content there. Now, we have a special guest. It's... Uh, from the Connecticut suburbs, Weldon Johnson. Are we joined by your daughter? She's now got one week more of uh, podcast experience here, Weldon. She's actually doubled her age from last week. So uh, do we have that, that special guest or is it just you? The wife has departed for the first time. I'm alone with a baby. I immediately ran upstairs, put her to sleep, and joined the podcast. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities, right? Charlotte, I love you. No, it's this time of day. I figured she's like, hey, my wife suggested putting her down to sleep. She suggested I get sleep, and I knew you guys were doing the podcast. I was like, no way. So this worked out well. Okay. I didn't know about the quarantine classico. You know, I'm a little late on some of the news here. This is great. A race with people? Like, this is great. Also, there's another thing that might be there is fans. A few fans. So even if we have 20 fans, that's better than professional sports, which have no fans. I don't understand why at sporting events we can't have fans if we space them out. Follow the rules, people. But this shows, one, it's probably legal if they're doing it. Coronavirus to kids is a minuscule threat. We need to have events with kids going on and kind of try to live our lives as much as possible, especially in the summer. So track and field sporting events, I'm really excited about this, even though I know nothing about it. They don't even know where it's going to take place, which is mm, a little little iffy, but I'm excited. I've become nervous, a little nervous, Weldon. I've been for opening up with the kids, but I'm not worried about the yelling of spectators infecting other people. Like the, like the choir, like, like the choir practice, like the soccer match in Italy that spread it. You need to be wearing masks, I think. Okay, I'm going to go off on a COVID rant here. I actually, thank you guys for being concerned about my safety. I'm living in the state that was shut down the longest. State of Connecticut was the only state in America shut down yesterday. We're the only one with a full wide state still lockdown. I'm not sure what that means because you can go to Home Depot. You could always do go to Walmart, that sort of stuff. But it was official as of yesterday. 
And I'm proud to report, supposedly, as of today, restaurants are open, outdoor seating only in Connecticut. The shutdown is over world, worldwide in America. Excuse me. Con- nationwide in America. Wait, Massachusetts is still... We can't do outdoor seating. We still take out only. We heard you guys opened up on Monday for certain... So, not restaurants. We, we I saw it, a graphic. Yeah. What opened up on Monday, John? I think places of worship is what they're doing, and maybe a couple other things. They are slowly starting to reopen, but most of it's still closed. Hey, forget about the First Amendment in Connecticut. You know, places of worship, I think, are still closed here, but <laughs> we can eat outside. Although, barbershops were supposed to open today, and the governor cowered out and extended that ban two more weeks, but... It's just sort of crazy because, like, obviously we want science, but I keep coming back to you. No one knows what's going on. Like, you can go to Walmart and go to a liquor store, but you can, you, we can't have a barbershop or a barbershop can't, can't cut hair outside. There's not science on a lot of this stuff. It's sort of gut feel and what politicians feel like, you know, they feel like is the best estimate of being safe. And also there's political considerations for sure, right? Well, I've never understood how how liquor stores are essential businesses as are pot stores. And then now that we're opening up, I mean, I'm glad that people can go to their church services, but isn't that one of the most dangerous things to do? Go inside where a bunch of old people are closely sitting next to each other? I mean, that just seems like one of the last things I would open up. I think that's a fair point that many people in Massachusetts made when this happened. And it's interesting. In Massachusetts, liquor stores were deemed dissension, but marijuana shops were not. But now I think marijuana dispensaries are coming back uh either this week or next. So they're one of the earliest things to reopen. Wow, Robert. I mean, first of all, like for my one semester of constitutional law, we do have a constitution in this country. We do have a First Amendment, which protects the freedom of religion. But if you're going to allow people to go shop and go inside at certain levels and keep distance, they definitely should be allowed to go to church and, and operate under those same conditions. You know, if you want to find, say, that sitting is something different, but like if a movie theater is open, then for sure, and you're keep practicing social distancing, the right for people to practice their religions is way more important than going to the movies. So I, it totally should be allowed. It should be one of the first things. I, you know, I just don't see like, ideally, you have rules and we don't distinguish between what people can do with those rules, right? Like indoor events can have this many people. This much distance, boom, go. And then we don't, we don't distinguish between the type of things people can do, especially when, then when it comes to religion. I assume judges would rule that like you have to go even overboard. You have to have an even stronger reason to try to exclude someone from protect, practicing their faith. I agree with that in theory, but I, I think that obviously a grocery store should be the highest priority. If you don't eat, you die. But you know, one thing that's that's one thing that's interesting about this is Alan Dershowitz. The Harvard, former Harvard Law School professor, I believe, who's sort of viewed as an expert on the Constitution by many, who's relatively, he's at times been very popular on the left and very popular on the right because he doesn't, he just has some radical views on stuff. Did y'all see this this week? He's like, the government has the right to hold you down and inject you with a vaccine. So apparently that's been established. He claims that's been established by the Supreme Court. You don't have a right to put other people at risk for their health. So, you know, these, these anti, he, 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 in his, in his mind, if they do invent a vaccine and it's going to really stop the disease and you refuse to take it, the government would have the right to hold you down and force you to take that vaccine. Pretty interesting stuff. 
Well, that's I mean one guy's opinion, right? But uh, hopefully we don't get to that point. And if we have a vaccine, people see that it works and voluntarily take it. But let's get to the point where we have a vaccine and then we can worry about every sort of horror scenario. Yeah, we don't need to worry about things that haven't happened here. Like, oh, if the vaccine's here, people won't take it. Did you guys see this New York Times headline over the weekend? Uh, you're going to have to be more specific than that, Well then, It was on Sunday. New cases in U.S. slow, posing risk of complacency. I mean, that's front page New York Times. It's like, can we have a little good news? Like, I think you can, you can kind of pr- predict what the news is going to have every day. Sort of the gist of articles and... It pays to be alarmist with news, right? Like, things are good. Oh, shit. People could get too complacent. How about just we go with things are good? Wow, this is shocking. Fatherhood has turned. We've gone from Rojo's rant to Weldon's rant. Weldon, I want an update. Adventures in parenting. Has anything happened? Any great stories about your second week as a dad? The whole thing is great. I mean, the highlights is just when you're holding her and she's just like laying on you. Just that feeling. It's almost indescribable. (sighs) That might be the, I mean, that's one of the highlights. Oh, I made a, I made a COVID mistake this week. I shook a person's hand for the first time. The great grandfather, we did a socially distant visit outside. And when he left, this guy's 85, he stuck out his hand and I'm like, screw it, man. I just (laughs) took it and shook it. (laughs) Grandmother was horrified, but hey, go wash your hands. That's the wrong age group to be shaking hands with. Well, then agreed. But uh, the great-grandmother, you know, she's on the other side. So not that we'd want anything to happen, but um, he's like the least scared of of anyone I know. Uh, We're more way more worried about him, but like it just sort of shows people with routines. Like most of his friends are dead. His wife is dead. Like his routine was going out, going to the YMCA, going to the store, that sort of stuff. And he just can't do those things. It's very hard for him. It made me think of you, John, like... Still holding up? Like, what's up with the running and the mask? Have we discussed that? Uh, that's the thing I've been missing the last two weeks. You guys are supposed to run with mask on outside, John. Are you following the rules? What's going on? Are people really doing that? Yeah, I'm like, not going to repeat it. For our podcast. Robert has already gone deep into my personal life, into my running routines. Why am I wearing a mask? I am wearing a mask. I don't wear it all the time around the face. Sometimes I pull it down, but that's the short answer. I pull it up when I'm within six feet of someone. Well, then. Well, the one other thing also with the daughter is like, I, I'm I'm becoming a little more like Rojo. I'm not holding back on the message board. I used to couch things to make everything hot, you know, nice. And people were like, oh, are you going to have better moderate Texas runner girl who's a moderator said, are you going to have better moderation on the message board? Or are you going to let your daughter go to the message board? You know, all the sexist comments on here, objectifying women. And I was like, of course, I'm going to let her go on the message board. I'm going to let her go on YouTube. I'm going to let her go on Twitter when things are age appropriate. And, like, the message boards, the moderation is so much better than it was. Like, my daughter, no question, she will read stuff that she doesn't like on Let's Run.com, on Twitter, on YouTube. Like, that's how the world works. The better we get at things, like, the more offense we take at things. So, like, yes, we want to do a better job of moderating. Speaking of such, if you want to moderate Let's Run.com, email me now. I don't want to post this on the boards, but, like, we probably should have three or four more people. You can delete post. It's that simple. We've never had some grand conspiracy of, like... We want to keep a good community. So uh, one thing that I sort of have, I feel like an outlook of life changes a little bit with a daughter, but just in general, having a kid. But it's like I want her to like stand for what she believes in and do the right thing and not be afraid to like 
speak about what she think is right and not worry about other people's uh, approval. Live the right way. Don't seek others' approval. Wow, John. Weldon without sleep has become me. And this crisis is making me more cautious all of a sudden. I know. This is crazy. The roles have flipped. The Johnson brothers. Are you guys in some sort of body, body swap movie? I've actually gotten nervous. I'm going to make another announcement. A, a famous running personality may become driving across state lines to visit me today. That's what I was going to announce. The big news on the, on the child rearing front is Running with the Buffalo's author, Chris Lear, we were, Weldon and I were the first ones to see his child. He wants to be the first non-family member to see Weldon's child. He has gotten permission to come and visit from a socially distance appropriate distance to see the baby, to wave, and to support them. So I don't know if he can actually like baptize the baby to make it official, to baptize him into the running community. Baptize her, excuse me. But Weldon, I don't know if you heard earlier. I guess you didn't. But I have a plan to open up the mass marathons that you like. But I am getting nervous about all of this stuff. And my plan is very simple. You require everyone to get a test within two weeks of traveling to the race. And they have to bring the test with them, showing that they're COVID clear. And then when they get there to pick up their packet pickup, they also have to take a test on site, like three days before the race. And then therefore, you know, everyone on the start line does not have COVID unless they picked it up in the hotel the night before the race. And therefore, you can run, you can have 50,000 people run down the streets of Boston or New York or et cetera. What is wrong with that plan? Other than the cost of, uh, and, and logistics of getting the test done. I think it's great. I think we need to think of ways like how we can have these events. Maybe 50,000 isn't the way to go. But like I watched German soccer with nobody there this weekend. I didn't really – I had to turn off the sound. I didn't like it. But like why can't we first have a couple hundred fans? You have a couple hundred people in Home Depot at the same time. Why – you know, keep them apart. Do this sort of stuff. If yeah, if everyone's tested, let's have events, especially with young, healthy people. Like, there's no guarantees of vaccines, and also if, if if scientifically no one's discussing this properly, this is coming back. We'd rather have it come back sooner rather than later in the summer. So, not that you want to like mass spread it, but John, I heard you're mayor of Boston. Well, maybe you're not in Boston, but like, only ten percent of people had the test. So he's like, the shutdown's working really well. We have to shut down more. It's like he's trying to have it both ways. Is that the reaction there in Boston? I mean, the reaction here in Boston, I don't really know. Uh, it's just, I, all I know is we have harsh lockdown measures compared to other cities, but I haven't really, yes. When I did hear that, I was like, yeah, that's not proof that it's like, you can spin the numbers to say anything. You can say, oh, only 10%. If you say a lot of people have the test, have tested positive, you spin it as that. Yeah, this is results of why we need to continue shutting down because so many people have it. And if not a lot of people have it, you say, "Oh, the shutdown's working. That's why we need to continue it." You can argue anything. Well, talking about that New York Times headline, I mean, I do think people need to not be complacent. I mean, I the shard open up and I'll see like five people walking together down the street. I don't, I don't like that. So wear your mask, people. We're repeating ourselves a little bit here, so I would like to move on to another topic. Well, Robert, speaking of such though, real quickly, you're worried about this super spreaders and events. Eric Wesslin, web developer, sent me an article. It's from Science Mag. We can put it in the link. Why do some COVID-19 patients infect many others, whereas most don't spread the virus at all? And the gist of this article is like some people supposedly or they think spread it to like 15 people and some most people did none or like very little. It's very interesting. We can put it in the show notes. All right. I think we should move on. I'm not a COVID expert. I know you guys aren't COVID experts. You guys aren't listening to this podcast to hear from us talk about COVID. I want to talk about running. I want to talk about this. This is a very, very quick topic here. 
we have a Google Doc of potential topics that we always talk about in a podcast. One of them is a link that Robert put on the homepage. It's an interview with Jenny Simpson that Dragonfield News did. Robert sometimes rewrites the headlines when he's putting them on a homepage to sort of give a gist of the article. The way Robert rewrote this headline, Jenny Simpson doesn't appear to be considering a shift to the steeple. That is what he got out from this article with Jenny Simpson that talked about her adopting this dog, what she's been doing during lockdown, her career, you know, how she was proud of running 358 in the World Championship final. His takeaway is she didn't say that she was going to commit to the steeple in the, for, moving forward. Robert, I just don't... When you go to let this storyline die, she's been very clear she doesn't have any interest in moving back to the steeple ever again. But you won't give up on it. No, I won't. I meant to ask John Kellogg what he thought she could do in the steeple when I talked to him yesterday. I just... I'd like her to go out with an Olympic gold. I don't see that happening in the 1500. She probably can't run 855 in the steeple either, though, so... Yes, but no, I, I often do that, John. I, I'll put an article up maybe one day with one headline then take a different nugget of the article and put it up another day with a different headline. Just, just There's different aspects of the article. A lot of people aren't reading these articles. This is actually a track and field news article. People don't have subscriptions to it. So I'll take one nugget one day, one nugget, um, uh, you know, a, a, a different day. But, but this wasn't an aspect of the article. The article was asking her, would you consider moving up to the 5,000 because she has the Olympic stand in that event? She's not run a steeplechase since 2009. That's that's just a dead storyline. It's not a dead storyline. And this shows you why people, again, come to letsrun.com because I'm amazed by how many interviews are done with with prominent athletes. Actually, I watched the Brent Brown interview on Dystat, and they don't ask the obvious questions. Like, the obvious question was, okay, so she ran a 5,000, so like, oh, you're going to move to the 5,000. What about the steeple where she has the American record, or she had the American record? Why would you ask about the steeple? Because she's it's been asked and answered for the last 10 years, Robert. Okay, but she's going to move to the 5,000? doesn't make any well, sense. Well, because she ran a 5,000. That's a, that's a legitimate question to ask. Okay. And then there was an interview with Bren Brown. Actually, the Dice Jack Q&A, it's a video conference with her. It's actually, I enjoyed it a, a lot um, in the sense of she seems very mature. Um, she, she talked about how not she didn't want to push her training. She had a broken foot in the fall, and she just doesn't want to get hurt. So she, she seems to be really smart about that. But they were asking her about how much she trained, but they didn't ask her how much she ran. Like, hello, ask the obvious questions, people. So anyways, moving on. We didn't even promote this at the beginning of the show we should have have you guys seen this so the coaches association the USTFCCCA, united states track and field and cross country coaches of america they have decided to grant all american status to every single person who qualified for the d3 nationals this is like the dumbest thing i have seen this is rojo's rant for this week every kid gets a medal not everyone's an all-american this is absurdity normally when you qualify for nationals uh, the way they've done it is the eight scores are first team All American. I think the next eight are second team All American, and then the, the final eight, um, and at least outdoors, are honorable mention All American. Obviously, they don't. They didn't have nationals, so what do they do? No, you don't do this. You don't make everyone an All American so they can put it on the resume. If people want to put it on the resume, they can just put NCA qualifier, Johns Hopkins University. People understand that. Or you can make them all honorable mention. Or you can do the top eight qualifiers and times for first team. The next eight or second team. You don't make everyone first team All-American. This is absolutely insanity. 
Why don't they just make them all NCAA champions? I mean, they should have just gone all, all gone to the top, man. I want to go further. The All-American system in our sports make no sense. All right? When you do a football team, you have first team, you have second team, you have third team. They don't name two quarterbacks on the first team. It's one quarterback because only one person plays quarterback at a time. So in NCAA cross country, why do we have 40 All-Americans? How many people are on a team? Seven athletes are on a cross country team. Shouldn't we just have the top seven, a first team All-American, the next seven, a second team All-American, the next seven, a third team All-American, cut it there. After that, maybe you're honorable mention if you're in the top 40. In track and field, why is eighth place first team All-American? If you're the eighth best 10,000 meter runner in the country, and I'm naming a track team, the best track team in the country, why would somebody who got eighth in the 10K be on the first team? Wouldn't they be on the eighth team? I, now, I understand this gets a little tricky because the criteria in this case to be first team All-American would be to win the national championship, which is a very high bar. But again, if you're doing it all the other events, like to be first team All-American at offensive guard, or sorry, at center, you have to be the best center in the entire country. So I don't know. Am I crazy? Do you guys believe in this plan? John... I'm all for it, although I have to update my resume. The reason why they do it is so coaches can inflate their resumes. You know, oh, I coached 40 All-Americans. I, I saw something, and I, I, I'm friends with, with with Chris Farley and his wife, Julie Culley, is the head of the Georgetown team, and I shouldn't go off on one individual. But the other day, I think I was on Dicet. I've been doing the homepage every night, like, because Steve's on, employee, on paternity leave, Walden's not here. So I'm, I'm going to high school sites. They've had tons of interviews. There was an interview with Brandon Bonzi, the Georgetown coach, I think on Dystad or one of these high school websites. And it's like, he's coached 45 All-Americans. I'm like, he's coached 45 All-Americans. How in the hell is that possible? Georgetown's been down. How long has he been there? So and someone's like, I texted someone. I'm like, how can this possibly be true? And someone's like, oh, well, they're counting like anyone that's made the national meet and anyone on a relay, like even if they're like not scoring. So if they're honorable mention, they're calling that as an All-American. So I'm all for it. It's insanity. But John, in the cross country, I don't think it should be top seven, next seven, seven. You only score five. So no, come on. In basketball, I think seven is fair. Seven people no, on a team. Well, there's 12 people on a basketball team. First team All-American in basketball isn't 12. Seven people running at the same time. You don't go on the floor with only five, with only three players. Like you go, you go into a race with seven athletes, seven people on a cross-country team. Seven is first team All-American. Five. That's just that's that's too restrictive, in my opinion. Well, they do it in basketball, which but, is more, more popular. because they don't have in basketball. You have five people on the court at a time. In cross-country, you have five, seven people on the course at a time. It, although it would kill it for the college coaches because when you got a kid making nationals, I mean, I, I, and we we're, we we would tell these kids who we were like happy to make it. I'm like, all right, dude, top. And they changed the rules when I was in college. I forgot what it was before, but like eight through sixteen was second team all American, and then everything else was all American was honorable mention. So I'm like, you better make sure you get in the top sixteen. And we were counting them down like he was passing people. Nate Edelman, boom, second team all American. <laughs> Well, no, this is what happens, though. The, the HEPs has it right in this instance because in the Ivy League, first team all Ivy, what do you have to do? You have to win HEPs in track and field. In cross country, first team all Ivy is the top seven. And second, the second team all Ivy, there is no third team all Ivy. And you know what's a motivation for, for HEPs? Scoring at the conference meet. If you get top six, you score. That's a big motivator for these athletes. 
And it's the same thing at NCAAs. Okay, if you get eighth, you're not All-American anymore, but you're scoring points. That was always a big deal. If I was a HEP scorer, I'd be like, okay, that's you know that's what I'm going for. That managed, I didn't care that it was not first team all Ivy for finishing in the top six. Scoring at the HEPs was enough for me. So if you just rejigger the priorities, maybe scoring at the Nationals becomes the same thing as All-American, but then coaches can't brag about it, you know, so... That's my that's Jonathan's rant of the week. Wow, Jonathan is now getting angry. So what else do we have to talk about, folks? I have some amazing quotes from Scott Fobble that's kind of inappropriate for the podcast, perhaps. Well, Robert, what one's got an idea here? Email of the week. Yeah, how about the email of the week? Have you guys not done that yet? We've got a couple emails that I really like this week. One, you guys, I said this last week, you guys killed it with the Jim Ryan, Dina Castor, and Chris Lewinsky podcast. I highly recommend these podcasts. I mean, Jim Ryan and Dina Castor were voted the greatest American distance runners of all time. We had podcasts with both of them. The insights, they were both just so well-spoken. They're great, you know, interesting people. You know, Dina was emailing me. I wasn't even on the podcast. She then was emailing me asking for pics of Charlotte and giving me advice. So I highly recommend those. We have two emails related to those. Um, I think we should start with that. First, you guys want positive or negative first? Let's... Bad news first. Bad news? Okay, we've got it. Well, I guess we won't say this person's name, but he did email a media publication. But We'll remove his name to be nice. Please remove me from your mailing list. I thought the days of glorifying that corrupt, scheming, lying, republic scum... Republic, Republic scum. That's, I didn't know that was a word. Jim Ryan were over. Why don't you name Nixon as the GOAT president, you sleazy scumbag? FYI, Ryan punked out of the Olympics because he couldn't stand the pressure, just like he punked out in Congress because of an absolute lack of ethics. That was from an emailer asking to remove to the let'srun.com email list because we interviewed the greatest American distance runner of all time. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Like, what like it's Jim? First of all, I mean, he was an honorable member of Congress. Like, what does politics have to do with anything? With interviewing the greatest American distance runner as voted on by the Let's Run dot com audience? Like, this just shows how nuts people are on the left and the right. I mean, the, the extremes are, are are just crazy. I think the vast majority of us get along. We can respect people of different political opinions. It, it just was crazy. So we gladly removed the visitor from our email list. And Jim Ryan was voted out of Congress. That's how the system works. Okay. Speaking of Jim Ryan, this guy talked about how he punked out of, of the Olympics because he couldn't stand the, the, the pressure. So I thought that was one of the best parts of the interview was some people thought – in many people's minds is viewed as a disappointment that Jim got the silver and Jim said, look, I'm really proud of that. And I thought that was one of the more insightful parts of the interview where he's like, look, I was not good at altitude. I felt terrible that day. I didn't even want to run the race. And then he runs this incredible time, even though he lost by several seconds. If you do the altitude conversions, it's equivalent, John. And and I actually got the official NCAA altitude thing, 329. Now I think that's phony though. I, I the more I looked at it, because if that's worth three twenty nine, Kano would have been three twenty six. I just, I think it's probably more likely it's in the low three thirties. I think it's still an amazing performance what Jim did, but 
I think the conversions are a little generous in the NCAA, especially when you're running that fast. Especially for someone like Kano, who was based at altitude already and probably wouldn't have been an effect, affected as much as Jim Ryan. I'm going to uh, so I'm gonna plug Jim Ryan's running camps now because I'm pissed off at this emailer. RyanRunning.com. He's having virtual running camps this year. Jim did not pay us for anything <laughs> for that or the podcast or anything. So, Okay, but it's interesting, John. You know, I, I I went back this week and watched that Olympic race for the first time in a long time. And I, I wish I'd watched it before we, we we talked to him. I mean, he came from way off the pace. But, you know, this mindset that he punked at, wimped out, and did this thing, he ran an incredible race considering where the race was run. What I didn't realize was he had won, according to this YouTube video, he had won like 41 races in a row. Is that true, John? So he was totally unbeatable at the 1,500 mile before that race. Well, I didn't realize that aspect of it. But, I mean, he was the guy, he was the dominant 1,500 runner in the world in 66 and 67. But when I watched that race, the thing that amazed me was Kano. I mean, Ryan runs this incredible time. But Kano was just really going for it, man. I mean, he was really impressive. But the reason why Ryan was viewed as such a disappointment in America, obviously he had this big win streak, was the announcer, the way he produced that race was so bad. Yes, if you're watching it and you're like, why is the world record holder, why is this unbeatable guy way back? And he's like, oh, he just got the tactics wrong. What a disappointment. I, mean, I don't know if he used the word disappointment, but the way he was announcing it, you would have thought like Ryan basically did terrible. In reality, Kano was running this amazing time at 7,000 feet of altitude. So was Ryan. And that was lost because, again, our sport is hard to appreciate unless you really understand what you're doing. At one point early in the race, the announcer, to his credit, did say if Kano keeps this up, this is crazy. It's like a world record pace at 7,000 feet. But by the end of the race, he lost track of the time and didn't put, couldn't put it all in perspective for you. My biggest takeaway, they needed Lightsaron.com in 1968, clearly. Thank you, John. Thank you. Weldon, I want to hear the good news now. Give us the praise, Weldon. We actually have two positive emails. Start with the shorter one. John, this goes out to you. With me gone, I let you send out the email this last week and you apparently killed it. This is just very short and sweet. These might be hands down. These might hands down be the most interesting collection of categories and topics I have ever received over email. John, who whoever sends an email like that goes out of their way to send an email, just an email from an email list to somebody thanking somebody. I mean, that's the highest praise you can get, and I think it shows that just the goodness of most people out there. Like people love to complain about all the negative in the world and what's going on, but like that that email is from Silas F. Thank you, Silas. Just we appreciate it. Thank you, Silas. Well then, I learned it from you. You've learned what? You're not on an email list. How do you sign up, Weldon? Good question, Robert. I guess we should make a simple way to do it. John asked me that the other day. This little pop-up thing. And when you register, how about letsrun.com slash email? We will put it there. Letsrun.com slash email to get subscribed to the email list. And also, people, rate and review. Spread the podcast. We got to, you know... Let's run is great, but there's a lot of young runners, people new to the sport, don't follow the sport as a sport all the time who aren't that familiar with Let's Run. Please tell them of the podcast. Spread the word. Just, I think it's a great resource, obviously, but I think 
the running community, if you know someone who might benefit from it, go ahead and tell them about it. And we go on to an email that we received last night. This one actually involves Dina Castor. The guy sent a picture of Dina Castor, and he started off by saying, I'm writing to say thanks for the great website. Your podcasts have been getting me through my long runs the last few months, and my mostly non-participatory presence in the forums is a daily thing. This guy's from Switzerland. And he also has an offer in this email. He's saying, the other reason I'm writing is to ask if you'd ever be interested in having boots on the ground in Europe, in addition to whoever else you use. So even though we have no events going on, our podcasts were focused on the greatest American distance runners of all time. We have a Swiss guy praising us and offering to be the boots on the ground. So I think for sure we should use this guy. Like there's going to be the well class I meet this year, right? Maybe, maybe he should. No. Canceled. What? Yeah. It's a bummer. It's like the, one of the best track. Meets I thought a diamond league schedule came out. I heard there was no. Yeah. That one isn't on it. You didn't study it apparently. Well, I heard there was no final. So I thought there was just, going to be a Velt class AB, but oh my gosh. I thought the Swiss were sort of ahead of us in being open up. Well, maybe next year. Maybe we can have a huge Let's Run party at the Velt class AB 2021. There's going to be so many meets next year. Well, hopefully, I guess, but or should we be alarmed? COVID 2021, how bad will it be? Okay, I'm, I'm depressed now. Carry on. Okay, guys, we've been repeating ourselves, praising ourselves too much in this podcast. I think we need to wrap it up soon. But speaking of parties, Hoka NAZ elite coach Ben Rosario has proposed a way to grow the sport. And his goal is he hopes by the 2028 Olympics, the Olympics are no longer the biggest event in the sport. He thinks that we need to take a professional mindset and sort of grow the sport like tennis and golf did and go towards Four grand slams. You have like a big meet, the pre-classic. You have a big meet, the London Diamond League. You have a big meet, the Tokyo Diamond League. And I forgot the other one. And you you try to make them these big like multi-day festivals, like parties with beer and stuff like that. What do you think of the idea? Can it save the sport? I don't think it can save the sport because I just think it's a... (sighs) There's so many things that have to go into it. But the first of all, first of all, you need patience because... Ben, it's a really good article on the NAZ Elite website. You guys should all read it because he explains how tennis and golf went. They became professionalized in the. They started becoming professionalized in the fifties and sixties, and it took a little while, but eventually, you know, these events: Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the British Open in golf, the Masters. All these events became viewed as the pinnacle of the sport. For that to happen in track and field. People need to start, all the athletes and coaches and fans need to start agreeing these four majors, which he said, like you said, right, the Prefontaine Classic, the Championships is what he called it in London, the German Open in Germany, and the Tokyo Meet of Champions. People need to invest in care and the athletes need to say, these are the four events we care about more than any others. And that's just a long process for that to happen. You can't just immediately say, oh, everyone cares about this. You know, who's going to make that? If Maybe if World Athletics said, okay, we're not having world championships this year. These are the four big events that everyone should be competing at. They have the most prize money. Fine. World Athletics isn't going to do that, though, because their biggest event is the world championships. They're probably going to fight this decision or this move, which means they would need to come from the athletes. The athletes aren't going to do that because unless there's big money. So then you need someone with money to start these events. It's just 
I Ben acknowledges this. These, there are hurdles to overcome, but I do think that he's thinking about how to improve the sport. And you know, maybe if you did get some massive benefactor billionaire who wants to put on these events, maybe you could see it happen. But I think that's really the only way. My take on it is, I think that it's 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 hard to have four majors for a number of reasons. One, just the way training works. I mean, everything is a very complex and people are trying to pay for one event and if you have a sprinter running nine nine at some major the time matters in track and field and then they run nine six at a different one people are going to be more impressed by the nine six in tennis it's just all about beating your competitors there's not some absolute time that's that's really that important um i want to read an interesting email from the message board from Precious Roy, track and field's fall from greatness is due to two things, cable TV and the end of the Cold War. Track and field was at the pinnacle and every event was on a showdown between communism and capitalism. Bruce Jenner was on every box of Wheaties because he beat the Soviets. After the fall of the Soviet Union, track and field quickly lost popularity, except for the sole focus of sprinters breaking world records. Also around the same time, cable TV brought around lots of sports that had previously had no airtime. Everything from X Games to gambling to international soccer. Before sports were confined to network shows on the weekends like ABC's Wild World of Sports and track and field had a good presence because of the East versus West rivalry. So, you know, then this person goes on to say what I say about the Diamond League. Basically, what result, we, we do have, and what part of Rosario's, the way he made a good point is we have the major marathons where, you know, we had to kind of have six majors and people view those all as big. So you don't have to be the absolute best to be the best at something. But in, the World Championships and the Olympics, we don't have that. I would rather have fewer diamond leagues. That's why I don't think we need six diamond league distance races. I'd rather have four where everybody shows up and have a good field than have a watered-down field every three days. So I'm all for having fewer big meets. I think these meets maybe should focus on, okay, the pre-classic is the big diamond league for distance early in the season. Then you have a big distance event middle of the season. You have a big sprint meet. You have a big throws meet. Etc. So you don't have it, but I, to me, I, I think that the Olympics. I don't know. I'm happy with that being the big pinnacle of the sport. That's what makes it so dramatic. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't see how. I mean, uh, one, it's very easy to pick apart something, and it's easy to complain without proposing your own solution. So I applaud Ben for coming up with this. I, I don't see how you get away from the Olympics. What we're just going to like encourage people not to go. Now maybe eventually become a money thing if people aren't being paid at the Olympics and the top athletes started skipping it. You get beyond that, but the Olympics are amazing. They're great. They're what unified the sport. They what brought everybody together at the Olympic marathon trials. And then when you go, but let's say we could say, well, could we need four majors? Working out the details for those would be very hard, right? Like we used to have the four Golden League. There were only four Golden League meets. It was what Berlin World Class A. There's six. You had to win six to win the jackpot, right? Oh, maybe there were six. Yeah. So, but uh, getting down to four, like, you know, his list, he's got the Berlin meet, but the Veldklasse meet, that's the best meet track and field meet in the world right now. Arguably, that's going to be gone. You know, Tokyo doesn't have that great of a track meet. They're more marathon focused. So, I don't know. I think we need more big events. Um, and he gives a lot of credit in that article to like Mark McCormick and these other guys who signed top stores and prof- professionalized the sport. But like, I mean, Usain Bolt was a big star. Somebody, I guess he was already signed to Ricky Sims, but somebody could have, if an agent wants to go and try to market Noah Lyles or then somebody, whoever the next Allison Felix is, that sort of stuff, the opportunity is there. 
Um, getting the problem with track and field is right. There's so many different events and then you have road running on top of it and like getting everyone to agree like, Hey, this new thing besides the Olympics is the new thing. Good luck. I just think like if we start focusing on what we have and presenting it, getting people hyped up, that sort of stuff. Um, and you know, if cable TV hurt track, it just meant like track was sort of like forced down people's throats a couple of times. So like keep enhancing the fan experience educating fans and making meets entertaining. I wish the Olympics would start adding all these obscure sports. I wish they would get rid of soccer and the Olympics, particularly men's soccer. So then track would have a higher, higher um, priority. One thing that a lot of people on this, there's a message board thread about this on let's run. Uh, ben Rosario has some ideas on how to save the sport, create four majors. So the Olympics are no longer the pinnacle of our sport. There's some interesting talk there. A lot of people are pointing out this thing. Look, we had another major. It was called World Cross Country. And that's what I was saying is like in a major golf tournament, there's one winner. At a major tennis tournament, there's one male winner, one women winner. So that's what the beauty of World Cross Country was. There was a single winner. When you have these track meets, you've got 20 winners. It's hard to focus on one because there's so many different winners and so many different events. So we had World Cross. And we messed that up. I mean, some of that could be, oh, the Africans started winning. People didn't pay attention. When people couldn't win, they stopped showing up. But I think World Cross should be an annual affair. And I think that that should be hyped more. I mean, the World Cross, the question to me, though, is like, why did they, why did World Athletics only make it biannual? Is it because they're losing money on it? Is it because the Africans were dominating? Because I went to World Cross in Denmark last year. The Africans dominated that race. It was still effing amazing. It was the best cross-country meet I've ever been to in my life. The men's race was filled with stars. They were all African, but who cares? Like, Ronex Kipruto, Joshua Cheptegei, Jeffrey Camworo, Selmon Borrega, all of these guys racing each other. I mean, it was incredible. I would sign up for that every year if they can put on a good show. But I do think, what is the common thread here, guys? Let's think about this a little bit. Ben, we have a Diamond League, which we treat in Let's Run as the, like, the regular season in the NFL. So we hype those meets up. We hype the major marathons up. And yes, we treat the World Marathon majors higher than in Amsterdam or whatever. Just partially out of, it's a marketing thing. But the common theme is less is sometimes more. When when we had World Cross and we tried to, they tried to go to the short craze, cross, short course race to have more winners. It just diluted the whole thing and made it worse. We want to have fewer races so that, with better fields. That's the common theme. Roll cross, everybody in it, one winner. We'd rather have, instead of having 12 diamond leagues with half of them have watered down fields, I'd rather have four with amazing fields. I think we can all agree on that. Okay. Before we, end this podcast guys we did say we we're going to talk a little bit about ncaa's cross country so i want to hit that i've been talking to a lot of coaches from the collegiate ranks this week essentially trying to get a sense of where we stand in regards to the 2020 cross country season will it happen and the main responses i've gotten some of them have said i think it's 50 50 and then a common response is it changes by the day. You know, they'll say, oh, I woke up yesterday. I was feeling pretty optimistic. And then I read a news story and then I thought, I don't know. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty. But what it does seem to me is that even if we do have a cross-country season this fall, it could look different to what we're used to because athletic departments are cutting budgets. And there's also still fear about travel and these big events and spreading the disease. And so I think... There are a couple things that you could see different this fall. One of them is schools not traveling as much. 
which if you're in the Midwest, you might or the Great Lakes region, you might be okay because or the Mid Atlantic, the Northeast, there's a lot of schools and competitions near you. If you're out west or well, more isolated, you know, University of New Mexico or University of Washington, somewhere like that might be more difficult because if you have to drive, you're, if you're only allowed to drive to a meet within driving distance, one day's drive of your school, there aren't very many opportunities for those schools. And that is something that's being, you know, athletic departments are considering is that they're not allowing teams to fly to these competitions. Another is, if you're going to have an invitation like the Wisconsin Invitational, you could see much smaller numbers at a big invite like that because the more athletes you have in the line, if you have 400 athletes on the starting line, you're increasing the risk of spread there, right? So that's something that could change as well. And I think teams, their schedules could change because of those travel restrictions also because these invitationals might be smaller. So I think there's there's enough coaches out there. They want this to happen, but they also want to make sure it's safe. So I, th- I think it's just be prepared. We could see a very different cross-country season this fall. Well, I think it's good. I think a lot of money is wasted on travel anyways. There's no reason for East Coast teams to fly out to California for some guy to run 14-15 in the 5,000. I just feel like people do it because everybody else does it. I mean, I had a number of guys, I guess, though, at Cornell that they probably would have broken 14 flat if they didn't have to run in shitty weather at Penn Relays if we'd gone to California. But the university did save thousands of dollars um, on it. But it'll be interesting to me, John, A, they're gonna if they have NCAs, people will have to fly there. So you have to get on a plane at some point. Right. And, well, no, D- Dave Smith did say this, though. He was like, oh, I don't know, Oklahoma State coach. He was like, oh, I'm not sure if we're going to fly anywhere. And he, he's hosting NCAAs for cross country. But I was like, well, what about NCAA outdoor track? Would you go to Eugene? He's like, if we're going just to nationals, I would drive for like three days or something. So, But I think, yes, most schools would have to fly to Oklahoma State if there's for NCAA. And then maybe the question I have is, do you, how do you, if you don't have these large meets, does that large system work at all? Because it's all based on people beating common opponents. So maybe you just select the teams based on their conference results and stuff like that. I mean, hopefully, right, we just have cross-country. Then we'll work out the details, flying, not flying, whatnot. Like, who knows? Like, I mean, planes have been one thing that have been allowed the whole time, yet – we all sort of, I think a lot of people operate under the assumption like flying is super unsafe, but like, what's the science there? Like, they haven't shut down planes domestically at all. So maybe flying isn't just as unsafe as you would think. I mean, like, these things people can work out, right? Like, a friend of my wife's, love you, Maria, she just flew from Mexico City to London on a plane. I mean, she dressed like hazmat. She had face mask, hose over that, the plastic shield down. Um, look like she had like a rain suit on, kind of like a hazmat thing. And I'm like, hell, if everybody dressed like that, they could go to NFL games. Like we could pack a stadium almost. I mean, like it's like sort of like what sort of precautions are you taking? How you know what are we gonna do? But like worrying about flying right now, like I think we're just putting the cart before the horse. Let's just hopefully get a cross country season, and then people kind of figure out what what they feel safe and comfortable doing. And each school might be different. If you don't want to go to the meet and you want to drive, you drive. If you feel comfortable flying, you fly. Like people are going to have to make these these choices, right? So at some point, some people may not comfortable be doing you know doing something. Some athletes, like in soccer, I listen to soccer podcasts. They feel like they live with a immunocompromised person at home. If they can then make the choice that they don't want to play soccer, and the rest of the team will play. I mean, like we're going to have to handle this sort of case by case. I think. Well, I don't hear anybody saying anything. John, can we have a little soccer segment? 
Brighton Hove Albion trying to take advantage of this crisis and stop relegation. This is just the worst. We've seen some of the best of humanity during this COVID crisis and some of the worst, John. And I think you know which category that falls into. Yeah, I think it is the worst that people are trying to make Brighton out to be the enemies here. Those people really need to reevaluate what they're doing, the choices they're making. All the people criticizing Brighton. They are, the, they are the worst of humanity. John, it's kind of funny because I thought you were agreeing, saying it actually was the worst that Brighton was going there. And then I felt really bad. I'm like, I feel like an MFer for just joking about this and saying this during the humanity. And then I realized you were actually turning back what I was thinking. So well played, well played. It's interesting. Prove my own point there, Weldon. All right, guys. Weldon was talking about the flying. I was trying to research. I did listen to a podcast with Dr. Patrick Soon Chong. He's a billionaire. He's invented some cancer drugs. He was on the Colin Coward podcast on Saturday. And they now he's an elderly gentleman, but they they asked him about flying and he said, I wouldn't do it. So the whole point about flying is can you fly? Yes. It, they're not grounding flights. But flying, the, most people are only flying because they absolutely have to. These cross flying for a cross country meet when you don't have to, unnecessarily exposing yourself to that risk. I think a lot of athletic departments will say, wait, it cost me money, to fl- a lot of money to fly you across the country to this meet. And why, why would I do that? Why would I cost spend a lot of money and risk boosting your exposure to the virus when I could spend less money and keep you close to the campus and not risk... Yeah, they shouldn't fly during the regular season, definitely. And when they do fly, again, follow the Robert Johnson plan. Test them before they get on the plane and then when they come home and get off the plane. Lots of tests, people. That's the key. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you enjoy this, rate and review us five stars on iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Or give us a call, 844-538-7786, 844-538-7786. Yeah, it's fake Alberto Salazar, or was it fake Galen Rapp or fake Ryan Hall? I can't even remember. But that guy needs to call back in. Please call back in. The world, we got people in Switzerland, they want the humor. People in America, they want the humor. And We didn't even talk about Alberto this thankfully. week. I think that we've, we've just been going way, our Alberto Salazar mentions have plummeted off a cliff due to this coronavirus crisis. I don't know if he'll, he's probably happy about that. I think he'd probably prefer not to be talked about on the Let's Run podcast, but I don't have any ties to make to Alberto. Is there, is there anything tangential to Alberto Salazar that we can make that we can talk about. Yes, should his ban be extended another year since the, he's not really missing a year with no track meets this year? Ooh. I say no. I mean, but I mean, he's still not getting to participate in the sport. But that's that's an interesting question. And there, you know, there's a thread about. I started a thread. I've been a father for a week. Ask me anything, and somebody said, "Hey, your daughter looks a little chubby. Don't let Alberto, you know, handle her <laughs> her food intake." All right, well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening, guys. Check back next week for the next edition. Till then.